Hello, whether it's good morning, good afternoon or good evening. Hello, um, I'm Sally Miller and I'm the Chief Executive of Carers Network. Um, for those of you who don't know much about us, Carers Network is a charity that supports unpaid informal carers. We're based in central London and we support carers in the boroughs of Westminster, Hammersmith and Fulham and Kensington and Chelsea. We're starting a series of podcasts on a range of topics, and this is the first in our series. And today we meet our first guest in the series, and I'd like to introduce to listeners Councillor Tim Mitchell. Welcome, Tim. Hello, Sally. Lovely to be with you today. Thanks, Tim, and great to have you. Thank you ever so much for taking part in our podcast. Just to introduce Tim a little bit, for those of you who don't know him, Tim is the Deputy Leader and Cabinet Member for Adult Social Care and public health in the borough of Westminster. He's from the Conservative Party and his ward is St James's. Tim's been working and living in Westminster for nearly 30 years now. He's a self-employed computer consultant. Tim's an active member of the St James area community and he serves on the committees of several local groups. These include Covent Garden's Jubilee Hall Trust and also the Abbey Community Centre. Tim's been a councillor since 1998, and he's had experience of pretty much every part of the council. And presently, like I said, Tim's deputy leader and cabinet member for adult social care and public health, hence the connection to Carers Network. Now, we first had communication with Tim back in June. Uh, We ran a series of activities marking Carers Week, and Tim joined us for the launch of that. So it's really lovely to have contact again with Tim a few months later. The topic today is living through lockdown. Um, inevitably, we have to focus on what's been going on in the UK and the world for the last six months. And so we're going to reflect with Tim on these last six months and um, all in the context of Westminster. But first of all, Tim, um, you've been in your role for about nine months now. I think the announcement was made around the end of January. Um, so just take us through what your first nine months have been like in your role with, with social care and public health. Well, I was really pleased to take on the role in January, but I had absolutely no idea other than a few reports which were coming out from the Far East about uh, the COVID pandemic. What actually the implications would be for our community here in Westminster. And so to some extent, I felt very much thrown in at the deep end. But the few weeks before the pandemic really hit us, Mm. I was really impressed by the officer team, which we had in Westminster and Kensington and Chelsea, supporting what I and my councillor colleagues were doing. And so it was with a degree of hope that we entered the pandemic, a hope I had that we were going to be able to respond to the challenge and, thinking particularly of carers, provide a network of support on top of what is ordinarily there to help people cope with the pandemic. How would you say the network of support panned out? Well, what we found was that in the early weeks, the if, if one winds back the clock, remember that people were asked to shield people who were vulnerable because of their age or underlying health conditions. But those letters took some time 
to arrive from the NHS. So by the time those letters are arriving, we had, I guess, about 2,000 volunteers for our Westminster Connect program. And we had comparatively few people who were approaching us asking for help. So we were able to respond in small ways. For example, um, a woman who lives in my ward on a Peabody estate said, I have a problem with my shopping. Can you help? And I was able to pick up the phone and get someone to go around that afternoon and help her with her shopping and then subsequently take her through the process of the food parcels which arrived, which actually, within a couple of weeks in her particular case, she was able to put in place her online deliveries via Sainsbury's and uh, cope by herself. But in those first few weeks, we were there able to give her a, a helping hand. I mean, 2,000 volunteers is an incredible achievement. So well done to Westminster for taking on so many people. How do you feel that COVID has impacted on the lives of people in Westminster through the six months? Because obviously the impact was something different in the first couple of months of lockdown to what it is now six months into it. Not so much lockdown, but having the pandemic in existence. So what what would you say your reflections on the overall impact of your residents in Westminster through this whole period? Well, actually, our volunteer program ended up with over 3,000 volunteers. Um, uh, over the first couple of months, we picked up 3,200, uh, as I recall. It was, I think, looking back at the last six months, it's been learning to live with a pandemic, which has been the challenge. There do remain vulnerable people, and their carers, of course, are in an often very difficult situation. They're, they're vulnerable because of their caring and responsibilities and even more so having to cope with COVID-19. Just before I joined this podcast, I got my daily report on the number of COVID cases uh, here in Westminster and also next door in Kensington, Chelsea. And I could see through those daily reports the the rise, then the fall, and now the rise again in the rates of infection. But the actual nature of the disease and how it impacts on people appears to be changing. And so how we respond to this is going to be quite a challenge. When it comes to people who are already in care homes, we've gone through the process actually early on in March of what's called cocooning the, the care homes so that uh, friends and families sadly were not allowed to go into the care homes. Came out of lockdown, we were able to start to facilitate visits in, in person, but we've now had to cut back on those and so sadly visits can only take place in very managed ways via gardens and we had to go back to uh, using and you touched on it earlier um, using high tea to to help people uh, keep in contact which is not ideal particularly for those people living with dementia but it's a way through Skype and various other um, various other apps are available, as they would say, um, mm. like Zoom, 
um, for people keeping in contact. So we, we are moving back to what we did during lockdown, but the pattern of the disease second time round seems to be different. So maybe, um, it, it, I don't think it'll be exactly the same this time. Yes, I, I see what you're saying. And, and we as an organisation also seeing different needs in carers um, now that we're six months down the line. Do you do you have any feelings about how this has particularly impacted on the lives of carers who are looking after someone in their home? Because you've covered the care home element of it. And we certainly got feedback from carers being upset that they weren't allowed into care homes. And we've seen a change. And now you're saying it's possibly reverting back to what it was. Looking at carers, because most of the carers we support are still in their homes with their cared for person and winter coming. And so the chances of like socialising outside are decreasing and often the carers themselves are vulnerable as well as the cared for. What do you see the winter period bringing for carers? I think you are absolutely right that that there is a challenge. As we were going into lockdown, one of the positives was that the weather was getting better, the days were getting longer, and so there was something to look forward to. Whereas we are now the other end of the year, and days are getting shorter, it's getting colder and darker, and the the lack of um, daylight hours is perhaps going to trigger in some people more depression than they would have had during the summer months. So I think it's a big concern, the vulnerability uh, that carers and the people they are looking after um, will increase as the the days get get shorter. So it it is also a concern, I'm sure, which you have, Sally, is that uh, people have coped for six months uh, and over the summer things lifted and things became more positive. And so people, so maybe some people have managed to cope for six months. But the danger is that this uh, second set of restrictions is going to be the straw that broke the camel's back. Um, and I hope that, that the people in that situation know that they can turn to the carers network to get support for the valuable job that they do. Well, we will certainly be um, stepping in to help people. And we're very aware, like you say, that depression can be a feature of what's about to come before us as the winter months um, start. And yes, we're already seeing the shorter days and the colder weather. It is an issue that's of concern because the initial um, support was very much practical about getting PPE for carers, food, access to services. So now, yes, it is going to take a a different element in that we will be getting, um, I'm sure, calls about emotional support needs um, as well as practical needs. For charities like Carers Network and and others, what do you as a counsellor look for from organisations like ours? What would you want the voluntary sector to be doing over the next, say, four to six months? Well, is obviously more of the same, potentially standing by to take on greater volumes of cases. As you know, our social workers are out and about in the community. They are, yes, in some cases during the pandemic, they were conducting telephone visits, as it were, as opposed to visits in person. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they were then referring um, people on to you to assist them. 
I think there'll be more of those. One thing which did happen during the pandemic uh, was the building up, and we touched on it earlier, of voluntary networks. And that was initially a matter of explaining and perhaps educating volunteers about what services were available uh, for people uh, and uh, enabling them to signpost people in um, to mm. Keras Network and, uh, and, and other organisations involving volunteers when you have vulnerable people is a complex area and we're very much mindful of that. But it's, it is important, I think, that the wider community understand how we collectively, that's the council, Keras Network and others, uh, do provide help and support for vulnerable people. At times, it was a bit of a struggle, certainly in the first few weeks, because quite rightly, the volunteers were very positive and wanted to get going, but they needed to understand the system to to, to agree. Um, uh, yes, it's right, it's, it's challenged, but there are in place um, quite complex networks of support for, for people already. And uh, for volunteers to understand that it was important. It's a very good point, actually, because having an amazing amount of people volunteering was fantastic and heartwarming. But of course, you've got to train and educate those volunteers of the places to signpost and refer people to. Um, So you mentioned, Tim, about IT and that you're looking at how IT can support people during this time. And we as an organisation also had to hit the ground running with IT very much like the rest of the voluntary sector and put a lot of our um, communication with carers onto Zoom and the like. So we've been running sessions on Zoom and we'll continue to do so. We're also setting up um, for those carers who don't have access to IT, we're setting up teleconferencing groups, which are the equivalent of support groups or chat groups, but over the telephone. As you've got an IT background, it'd be really good to hear how you think IT can go further than the Zoom element during this time, especially now that we're in the winter months, because I think a lot of people now are experiencing Zoom fatigue, that they're no longer wanting to join a group. Um, They've kind of got used to this new way of being. And so what's the next step for making more services digitalized and supporting people in alternative ways rather than just attending a Zoom session? Uh, that's a, a very good challenge. I, I don't think we, one should write off Zoom and other tools like Zoom completely. And I, I take your point about um, Zoom fatigue in some cases. My experience, my reflection is that actually organised Zoom sessions where there is a, a precise period of time set aside for the Zoom calls rather than going on for hours on end is important so people know the parameters and also uh, using zoom and other such tools in what i would describe as a hybrid way so that some people are, are able to participate in the same room socially distance course as well as other people via zoom so that i think we might have touched on this previously but I think one of the advantages of tools like Zoom are some people who are 
isolated in their own home because of illness or, or disability in the future will be able to, I hope, through tools like Zoom, participate in more events than they have been in the past because they have been, um, quote unquote, stuck at home. So mm. I, I'm very keen that we, it, it's not either or. It's not either a meeting in a particular place or a Zoom meeting. I think it's important that we have a blended system of different ways that people um, participate in meetings. Beyond that, um, with the, the use of technology, of course, websites have been around for a 20. Uh, actually, I was discussing it with my wife the other day, and she, she was saying uh, at the end of the 1990s, she started to notice on Tube adverts, websites being quoted routinely, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So yeah, it probably is just over 20 years that websites have been around. And they, of course, are, are an invaluable way of um, uh, carers, network, and others storing resources. Mm. But, of course, people have got to know that they're there. Um, and so advertising those, promoting them, is it's still very important. We are on a podcast now, and what's lovely about podcasts are um, you can dip into them um, and listen to the whole of it or part of it, um, wind back, um, and you're you're in control as the li- listener ha- how you interact with the with the podcast, and I think that is going to be a very useful tool as you mentioned in the um, summer you in, in may and june you were having zoom sessions which were talking about specific issues for for carers and managing anxiety and worry um mm. example uh, now podcasts which are from professionals in the field perhaps illustrated with some carers talking about their own experience via a podcast would be a perhaps a good way of someone who is wants to approach carers network isn't doesn't quite know whether their needs are sufficiently uh, severe for them to make a formal approach but just wants to quote unquote put their toe in the water um then maybe podcasts um available by your website and other websites might be a a good way of introducing people to to the work that you do and getting people to understand how you can help them. Uh, As you know, there are many carers out there in the community who we don't know about. Some do cope, but some sadly don't cope, but are either don't know the services or reluctant to come forward. And if we can use tools like this to, to encourage them, to uh, make an approach that would be really good. I agree with everything you've said and it's it's encouraged organisations like ours to think differently about how we can deliver services and outreach still needs to go on in terms of letting professionals know that we exist as well and if we can ensure that we communicate with more people through various channels then that's going to help us but you're right some people still don't know about services that are in existence or don't want to access services that are in existence. And that that applies for every client group across the adult social care sector. 
I like the idea of involving carers as well on podcasting. And I think once we've finished with the series of talking who we're talking to in the first six six sessions, I think then we'll be looking at other ways to record podcasting because there's a lot of um, positives in learning from um, people in the same situation as you and tips and tools. We're also doing a lot of training and information sessions on Zoom now. So our Zoom sessions are definitely shifting. I think it was more of a a social um, networking existence, whereas now we're moving towards going to the information training engagement way of accessing carers rather than the social element of it. Because I think people have created their own ways of connections, uh, having connections over this period. And I think organizations now need to go on to the next way of supporting people who do need to find out about our services. So I do think everything you're saying is very pertinent at this time. And as an IT professional, what what do you think it holds for you in in the future now that things have moved so quickly that people have gone onto other platforms so quickly? What have you seen as a as an IT professional? Well, in in the first few months of the pan- pandemic, well, the first month, six weeks perhaps, um, there was uh, a lot of running around by physically and metaphorically by businesses reorganizing themselves so that most of their staff could work from home. And my reflection was, without a decent broadband connections, and without the ubiquitous use now of laptops, many businesses would have struggled to survive. And what I definitely um, have seen, and I think will be a continued pattern with small businesses in particular and large but definitely small businesses that's the, the sector which I'm, I largely work in is there's going to be a lot more home working um, they, it's not necessary to have a fancy office um, anymore you can if you want to meet your clients in a nice venue then you can book a, a restaurant or somewhere in, in a smart cafe in, in the west end if that's your thing um, rather than having to to, to pay out um, thousands of pounds um, in having a nice office. So that is going to be a challenge to, to Westminster, the central part of Westminster, of course, because that office community supported a whole network of cafes, bars, restaurants, and the like. And then it was down to the services like dry cleaners. Um, and most of those people, uh, you know, barely 20%, of those people are back at their desks at the moment. And um, do you see that it's going to go back to what it was now that we've been told to work from home? If we can, do you think people are going to abide by that? Um, it depends. Uh, I think in the main, people will abide by that. I have. Um, I was speaking the other day to somebody who runs a environmental uh, charity and uh, they have got about a staff of 20 people and based up in the east midlands and they have well they haven't had a staff meeting for over six months everything has been virtual uh, contacts have been by telephone and um, even the member of staff who lives down the road from their office in in peterborough is um choosing to stay at home because he doesn't really 
feel the need to actually go into the office. So there are going to be some pretty fundamental changes in the in the nature of work and the culture of presenteeism, just clocking in at nine o'clock in the morning, clocking off at five o'clock in the afternoon is um, what was dying anyway, but is um, is going to um, die away completely in, in, in my view. It's about managers um, setting targets for the members of their team and holding them to those to, to those targets rather than seeing the number of hours um, that they clock on for for a particular week. Mm. Interesting times, as you say. We, we're we always um, recruiting volunteers as an organisation, and I know that you've touched on the fact that you got an incredible amount of volunteers um, at the beginning. What's the plan um, over the next few months? Have you kept in contact with those thousands of volunteers and you're still being able to engage them? Yes, we are. Um, we, we, we've we uh, had an unprecedented number of emails which we are sending out to various different sectors of, of the community in Westminster and we have our Westminster Connect volunteers who are part of that. We've been encouraging people according to their their skill set and their, their own wishes to help in in different ways very obvious one of course at the moment is with the uh, second surge coming is we have already a network of health champions and we are encouraging people to sign up as COVID-19 health champions to help um, communicate the messages about COVID-19 to people, friends and family and and local community in an organic, unstructured way. And so we're keen to sign up about a thousand people across Westminster to, to do that. So that's a very obvious way that people can help at the moment. And we encourage, um, I, I, I know of a person who was an early Westminster Connects volunteer who is now signed up as a COVID-19 health champion. I hadn't heard of the Health Champions Initiative, and I think that's an excellent idea, especially when you're saying that the communication takes place organically and in an unstructured way, which is great for hard-to-reach communities. Um, So if a volunteer has local knowledge, then spreading the word will be a really effective way of using those volunteers. So uh, good luck with that initiative. Sounds great. Thank you. Well, Tim, we've been chatting and uh, it's great to have your feedback. Um, before before we close, do you have any parting words you want to share with, with our listeners? Well, I would first of all like to make a heartfelt thank to all the carers out there uh, and encourage them also to spread the word to other people who, who they know about the fantastic services which you uh, Sally and your colleagues offer through the carers network to people who are uh, who have caring responsibilities it can be a very lonely time and particularly over covid and during the, the lockdown in the spring that will be very difficult for people so it is really important the message is out there that uh, we are all here to, to help Thank you. And if we can do anything to support all the initiatives that you're working on, Tim, then please don't hesitate to contact us. Um, 
just to say then, thank you ever so much, Tim, for all the time that you've spent with me on this podcast. It's been really interesting listening to how things have been and how things are looking for the future. Uh, we'll probably catch up in another six months to see how it's been because we'll be in a different phase then. Um, good luck with your role and um, do keep in contact and let us know if you need any support and how you're getting on and keep keep safe and well yourself. Thank you, Sally. Um, same to you and uh, all the members of your team. Thank you very much indeed. Thanks, Tim. Thanks, Tim.